Hello and welcome to the Simply Podcast. I'm Patrick Horvath, Head of Content at Simply Communicate. And I'm Aishwara Javelu, Content Executive at Simply Communicate. Pat, who are we talking to today? Today we've got Sam Lazard, Employee Communication and Engagement Lead at Fortnum & Masons. The best hampers probably anywhere. That's our promotional plug. Uh, Sam is a IC royalty, so he's also, as well as working currently at Fortnum & Masons, he's worked at the Dow Jones, he's worked at Langerook, John Lewis, Unilever, and he's also worked at the Royal Mail and at the Cabinet Office. So he has extensive IC knowledge over the past two decades. Aish, what are we going to talk to talk about today with him? We're talking about storytelling, personal branding. Uh, he's got a podcast called Comes From The Shed. So we're just asking him what inspired him and what he's learned. And we're also talking about what are the skills required for the modern internal comms professional. Fantastic. I've been enjoying uh, Sam's podcast, Comes To The Shed, for a while now. It's really, really exciting. Uh, we, I'm really, really looking forward to finding out why he launched it. Um, so let's get started. Aish, let's let's welcome Sam. So Sam, thank you ever so much for, for coming and uh, having an interview with us. Um, can you kick us off by giving us a bit about your professional background? Oh, thank you. Well, I wasn't expecting such a a big meaty question up front, Patrick, but uh, I'll try and I'll try and give you the elevator pitch. Um, I, I sort of summarise it's 20 years plus in communications. Um, internal communications has been my bread and butter, but I've been extremely fortunate um, to work um, in a very varied range of sectors um, that spans uh, Her Majesty's Royal Mail, the Royal Mail Group. I had two separate spells there. Um, I've also been fortunate enough to work in fast-moving consumer goods at Unilever as a freelancer, um, but I've also spent significant spells in organisations as varied as the Cabinet Office, which is the department that monitors um, central government and other government departments, such as Number 10, the Home Office, um, Department for Environment and Rural Affairs business, uh, that, that kind of overview role, which is fascinating. Um, but um, more recently, uh, I've sort of the, the bulk of my career has been spent in organisations uh, such as retail, um, John Lewis Partnership, and more recently Fortnum and Mason, where I am currently. And um, I suppose the the biggest the biggest um, chunk of my working life in the last decade was six to seven years in the global construction firm. Langerouk, which is two main hubs in Europe and Australia. Um, but most of that time has been in telecoms. I also had some interesting experiences early in my career working for trade organisations and professional membership organisations, such as the Marketing Society and the IVCA um, as well. Is that, uh, is, that, is that useful in terms of just a, a brief overview? Absolutely. Yeah, that's brilliant. And um, you've worked at so many globally recognised corporates uh, in your career. Do you think that audience and engagement differ vastly or are the principles of communication still a little bit like the same? Um, I mean, obviously, the, the audiences are very different. And I, I, I would sort of, I think part of the part of the challenge, but also the opportunity now is, you know, can can technology actually facilitate a consistent experience? You know, because I work in an organisation right now where you have people who are shop floor assistants in retail, people who are chefs um, 
uh, waiting staff in hospitality, uh, people who work in HR, finance, customer services and head office, people who work in warehouse and distribution and supply chain logistics. I mean, off the top of my head, that's four very different audiences who will experience the communication and engagement with Fortnum and Mason as a very famous brand in very different ways. So um, I think it's I think it's less about the audience because my view is that all audiences are engaged and excited and inspired by sort of simple storytelling and you know creating ex an excitement about working for an organization or the future or you know how, how do you tap into the things that are on their minds most whether it's well-being sustainability inclusion and diversity future plans um i think that's incumbent on communications people that's our responsibility but i think it's it's more about now is accessibility finding a way through the noise and using technology and best but you know never forgetting and I've, I've, i'm very fortunate i've just come off the back of um doing the first face-to-face -face event at fortnum's for two years which was the five-year strategy launch for the business it's a tremendous thing to be involved in you know the the emotion that was in the room um the, the sense of joy it's just something that you can't replicate it really was it really was special so you know those those unifying moments are needed more than ever i would say um but you know i i, I think you know i'm very fortunate to have worked with audiences in different parts of the world and all different kinds of businesses but they you know they all just want you to reach them and make them feel connected and you know they, they want their leadership teams to be authentic and transparent more than ever that you know and obviously expectations of what they want um, are sky high you know and, and and that's the that's the challenge we have to rise to i think yeah and now you obviously you mentioned Fortnum and mason's the queen supermarket um so obviously you you've just shown that it's a variable but give us an idea of your day-to-day -day because it's such a, a globally recognized brand and so quintessentially british well i mean i do i mean that's that's a really interesting question that's a very difficult question to answer because um my day-to-day -day could consist of um writing a, a script for the leadership team uh, about our strategy i could be proofreading the latest um all staff communications um which could encompass a whole range of messages from sustainability it could be the results of our well-being pulse survey which hang, hangs off our annual engagement survey um i could be joining a session with hr talking about how we need all to be ambassadors for our employer brand on platforms like linkedin um i could be preparing a powerpoint um for one of the leadership team talking about different aspects of what we do be that customer service or about how we are going to extend our offer in piccadilly but think about ourselves as, as, a, as a global brand so um yeah the, the role is incredibly varied and retail moves at such an incredible pace as well that um you know you have to have a strategic view but the day-to-day -day and the week-to-week -week is is pretty fast, I would say. Great. And 
Um, you regularly focus on the importance of storytelling. So how do you tell a story that engages an entire workforce? Um, that's a good question, Nish. Uh, well, the, the first thing, I suppose, from a purely selfish point of view, I try and tell stories that delight me, that, that tickle me or that I would want to read myself. You know, I mean, I'm obviously, I'd like to think I was quite empathetic and quite considerate of, you know, the audience I'm writing for. And it's horses for courses because, you know, storytelling comes in very various forms. I think the key, one of the key things, though, is, and this goes back to my kind of journalism sort of training when I was in my, my late teens or, or sort of early 20s, I should say, um, is, you know, what, what is the, the essence of the kernel or the kernel of the story, really? Uh, you know, how, how immediate is that? Because there is an immediacy to news, I mean, more so than at any point in our sort of history. And have you captured the essence of that story quickly? And then, you know, the, the timing is kind of everything in a way as well. So I think, I think I'm think i driven really deep down, I'm driven by a journalistic impulse. You know, if you, if you think about sort of storytelling, but I think, I mean, I, I think you have to, I think you have to bring the sort of humanity of individuals out, even if you're actually talking about something quite complex and quite strategic. What is their role in delivering the complex and the strategic? Um, because actually that's what delights people, that they can see people that look like them, that they identify with, that are doing kind of extraordinary things and and let's face it in extraordinary times you know um does, does that kind of partly help answer that question i hope it does awesome. and what i'd like to know is um is how you're getting these stories out because obviously we'll go on to comms um from the shed soon but um what innovative approaches are you taking beyond perhaps pen and paper to to reach the your audience yeah i think i mean one of the things i think one of the things I learned or that certainly became embedded or it sort of crystallized in my mind when, when I worked in construction, you know, we, we went on a real journey in that industry over a number of years, um, you know, to change the perception of it as, as risky and dirty and dangerous to something that was more diverse, more inclusive, more interesting, more dynamic, more cutting edge, more tech enabled. And that was fascinating in itself. But I think when I think about the suite of channels, you know, if we talk about multi, you know, if we talk about communications as a multi-channel mix, all of those things should be self-serving and it should be a self-perpetuating cycle with a consistency across those. You know, I, I, I went into organizations and, and Langer Road was a little bit like this at the start where two to three, maybe three to four, if you're lucky, really core channels, real vehicles that that significant budget and effort and resource poured into them. You know, that could have been a you know, physical newsletter, it could have been an e-newsletter, it could have been an intranet. But over time, you know, that, that suite and that content, you know, you, if you talk about content, you, have, you know, I, I think of content now all the time through the lens of five or six channels straight away, even if I'm writing a brief. Or even if I'm starting to think about the story I'm going to tell, you know, and I think this is a good, this is something for internal comms people to think about is I'm thinking about, you know, 
is this a film? Will this film be shared in our newsletter? Will it be shared on an intranet? What, what aspects of this story or edit is going to be shared on LinkedIn or Instagram? Are those the right channels? Um, you know, the, there are, there's so many different aspects of it now, but I think having a kind of multi-channel mix and an overview of both internal and external comms, you know, because I, I think you're part of um, you're part of an ecosystem, you know. It's it's no longer. It doesn't make any sense to just talk about internal comms anymore. I don't think I've seen myself as purely an internal communicator for quite a long time, because we were repurposing a lot of that storytelling and construction constantly for YouTube and, and LinkedIn and the company website um, from a fairly early stage. Um, and even even one or two stories were used in commercial bids um, as well. So um, I think that's it's probably that aspect of the multi-channel mix, I think, is the is the key element, I would say. Sam? Brilliant. And did you have any kind of examples of uh, stories that you've recently told at Fortnum and Masons that you were particularly proud of or excited about? Um, I think I think it's I suppose it's not it's not so much well I, I'm, I'm excited about every story I tell at Fortnum and Mason because I, I, the, the, the kind of constant joke that, that I often respond to people when they say oh you know how, how come you know you tell so many stories about Fortnum and Mason it's really because there are more stories to tell than I can actually tell, or I or any of the, you know, we have a very small comms team of three people, but our capacity to tell them is limited because, you know, they're endless. But I mean, one example I would give you is um, Prem, who is the head chef currently at the Terminal 5 um, retail and hospitality offer that we have at Heathrow, which is Airside. And, you know, Prem is just an incredible individual, uh, not not least due to his work at Fortnum, but obviously previously at Harrods. You know, he, he cooked personally for Mohammed Al-Fayed. You know, he's known, he is known to celebrities and he's extensively known across the hospitality industry, both in central London uh, and more broadly across the world. He worked for Albert Rue Senior, he's, you know, one, one of the most famous Michelin star chefs. Um, it, for any any foodie will know, um, you know, he helped um, work on Fortnum Mason's pop-up at Somerset House in recent years and the partnership there. He's worked on cookbooks that have been sold on the shop floor. Um, and he his story is just incredible. And it's not just Prem, you know, his colleagues as well. Um, they, they've come from all different parts of the world, India, the Middle East, um, you know, they're now based in London, but they bring they bring incredible life experiences. You know, we just had a young lady, um, uh, Lordine Castro, you know, from Portugal originally, you know, English is our second language. And Laudi very bravely, and she was, she was nominated to do this, she very bravely introduced our uh, strategy, a five-year strategy event. You know, it's massive responsibility. Um, she's front of house at our field restaurant, um, which is based in 181 Piccadilly, and she, she did it with fantastic personality and just engaged everybody, uh, you know, and created an incredible start to that event. And it's the fact that we do things like that rather than use external presenters, but then 
I'm very keen that we tell the stories of those people and the contribution that they're making um, because it's so rich and it's so characterful and it changes the perception of what Fortwood Mason actually is ultimately. Because I don't, you know, one of one of the things I observed when I joined was that we share imagery and we tell product stories beautifully, you know, with the best photography, the best film, the best, you know, a really fantastically executed marketing strategy. And, you know, unsurprisingly, we have half a million followers on Instagram. That's no surprise. But I, I could see there's more, there's still more we can do, you know, we we would I think in the industry or we would call this the, the employer brand, you know, and the employee value proposition, all those phrases that you hear. But you know what what is people's wider understanding of Fortnum and Mason, you know? And I think that's the thing that's fascinating for me. That that's partly what's driving my um, storytelling uh, enthusiasm. Yeah. And sorry, just to say this is this is a very Fortnum's thing as well. You might hear a slight bit of back, background noise because. Uh, is someone hoovering the carpets just outside the meeting room. There's a constant thing that, that happens both on the red carpets and the customer facing stairwells, but also in the offices. Okay. And uh, so, somebody's joked actually that the, the person with the hoover follows them around on important uh, meetings or when they do tours of the building. But uh, I don't think that's true, but um, they've just popped up outside the meeting room. So if you hear a noise, that's what it is. Okay, are being extensively hoovered. But I think possibly <laughs> for the second or third time today. <laughs> it's good to know that uh, yeah it's as pristine as you'd expect in that case uh Fortnum HQ um so I'm going to probably focus a little bit on upskilling uh, on your session at Simply IC um and I'd like to know with your 20 odd years of experience um what the modern communicator and in particular internal communicator needs to know now and needs to be able to do now that perhaps even a few years ago wasn't such a priority how's the landscape changed um How's the landscape changed? Well, teams have certainly gotten smaller in the 20 years since I worked in uh, internal comms and comms more broadly. I, I remember working for Royal Mail in one of my first comms jobs. And the comms and marketing team um, that was based in 130 Old Street, we were part of a, an in-house agency called Communication Services. And we charge out our time to Parcel Force and Royal Mail and Post Office Counters. You know, we had a team of 30, 35 people. It was incredible. You know, in marketing, the, the, I remember a marketing conference once. I'm not, I'm not speaking kind of a attorney here, but I remember there was a marketing conference Royal Mail did at Russell Square Hotel, I think, and there was about 350 people in attendance, all marketers. Um, you know, and I've worked, I've worked for organisations in the past that had hundreds of people in HR. So I've, I've gone from working in comms teams that had 30 people to 25 to 15 to 12 to 8 to 5. And now we're down to about, you know, we're down to one man, one woman bands or three, you know, small but perfectly formed teams of three. So that's a big thing. I think as well, I mean, I definitely remember being in a phase where communications and, and HR to some extent, we were very focused on the strategic um, the, the overview, you know, the comms plan with strategic themes and, and long-term objectives and measurables. But I, I think, I think comms people have had to be more dynamic. Uh, Patrick, in answer to your question, you know, get under the skin of the tools and the techniques, whether that's data analytics on channels. You know, if we talk about things that are used internally, you know, 
um, Microsoft Yammer, Slack. Uh, you know, I think was I can't remember the face. This there's a Facebook channel. Is it, is it Workplace? Yeah, Workplace. Um, you know, people have had to understand that. People have had to understand social media um, data and analytics and metrics. I mean, I, I've. I was partly kind of challenged in my career to 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 learn how to do kind of everything and walk the walk, whether that's filmmaking, editing, writing scripts and briefs, emails, you know, leadership script writing, um, events, um, you know, strategy launches, whatever those campaigns, whatever those things are, I've I've had to keep myself vital and dynamic along the way um, but I think it's it's quite useful and you know again it's no, it's no secret I've talked to you guys about this before and, and you're well aware of the fact that when the pandemic struck I kind of taught myself you know um, as a broadcast I suppose you know audio techniques and editing and but there's a whole industry around that because it's 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 if you if you learn a new communications technique or a different channel there's obviously a 360 aspect to that. There's the there's the research, there's the interview dynamics, um, there's the content, how that's edited, packaged up and promoted. Um, and then obviously you learn a lot from that and then how that can be shared on different channels. Um, and so yeah, I, I think it's I think it's about teams getting smaller. I think it's about keeping yourself dynamic, proving that you understand that multi-channel mix I talked about earlier in great depth um, because you know it's it's much harder to talk um, with authority or authenticity if you're actually detached or you don't really understand how those processes work and content is king and it, it still is uh, it's king and queen and it always will be so um, we live in a world now where that is more important, uh, more crucial than ever, you know. And storytelling is really just an extension of great content, or it's a, it's an idea, or it's an inspiration that brings great content into the world, you know. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. And uh, you, I've seen on your LinkedIn, uh, you started a podcast called Comms from the Shed. Tell us, um, yeah, why you launched it and what you've learned from it. I've, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount from it, more than I ever thought I would. I mean, the quick version of this is that I launched it because um, I was I was in between jobs. Um, I wanted to do something that was in part going to sort of revitalise me you know, from a personal point of view, but it's also to sort of scratch an itch. You know, I'd always had this sort of fanciful notion. I thought, well, I'd love to do, I'd love to at some point, you know, had a had the opportunity to do a little bit of radio or you know to interview people because I think people that know me know that throughout my 20 years in comms I've always done interviews I've always made films and I've always been off camera and so I'm, I have a sort of comfort level at, at you know recording interviews and doing interviews and I'd, I'd also done a bit of freelance sort of journalism um, and music and the arts sort of unpaid in the background for many many years so I had I had a lot of the basic kind of tools and experience but what happened was I was writing a series of blogs for LinkedIn, um, just talking about how the, the pandemic was so difficult and how it was making people feel 
personally and professionally. You know, I talked about screen fatigue and, um, you know, how people were mapping out their local kind of communities and, you know, getting in touch with, with the sort of local industries and business and all kinds of different things. And I started to sort of, in my mind, this crystallised into a series called sort of Comms from the Shed. It was originally meant to be a series of blogs because I was writing it from my shed because I turned that into a virtual office because I'd always thought, oh, I'd like to work more in that as, as a sort of virtual space. But of course, the pandemic made that real and accelerated it all. So I bought myself a motorised IKEA desk. It's a wonderful thing. It's a big white tablet platform. I think it's for artists. It's really an artist's desk. It's motorised. It goes up and down. But I've got my little, I've got my little sort of podcast um, quality microphone, and that's all in there. And my, my setups in there, and I dial into my work team calls. But yeah, it was it was a series of blogs, and it, it got a really good kind of reaction, and it engaged me in a different type of conversation. And I got into all kinds of interesting kind of conversations and uh, things, you know, I started to sort of see my experience slightly differently, I suppose. Um, and it was an interesting route into Fortnum and Mason, ultimately. But yeah, I, I just I just sort of felt that I could give maybe people some comfort because while I was going out, walking in southeast London, uh, mapping all the local coffee shops in a five mile square radius, as it turns out, over a period of months, I was aware that lots of people were tuning into podcasts and audio was becoming a format that people were taking great comfort in. I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to talk to, you know, the comms director of British Airways to find out how their people are retraining and, um, you know, just, I talked to Dr. Kirsty Fairclough at Manchester University about how their school had effectively had to shut down and do everything virtually for a period of months. And, you know, Joe Hooper, who started a clothing brand nearby clothing, she used to be head of women's wear at John Lewis. I mean, what was wonderful about it was, I must confess to you both, when I asked a lot of these people for the initial round of interviews, I, I thought they were all going to say no. So I must call that out. So when Drew McMillan, uh, to his credit, said yes. Had I committed fully to the idea, 100%, no, I had not. So I was terrified. And I called up a friend of mine who's actually quite experienced in sound engineering. And I said to him, look, we've got to get this right. We've got to start testing and learning and quickly because this guy said yes. So, um, and you know, look, there were a few hiccups, but that, that was, that really kind of got me underway. Um, and I've been really fortunate, you know, I've, I've, been, I've, I've managed to persuade a Grammy award-winning recording artist, Gregory Porter, you know, to give me 15 minutes on the fact that he went back to his first love, which was being a chef. Um, you know, he's, he's since come back and he's been performing at the Albert Hall and he performed at the concert for Ukraine the other night, actually. But, you know, I've, I've had some wonderful opportunities along the way. and. I think it just, I think things like that, I think the le if there's a lesson in it for anyone that, that's listening or that, that um, picks up on my story or comes to the event, it's just that, you know, you should, you're never too old to learn things and they can revitalise you in ways that you, you don't fully expect, you know, and so it's, it's, it's very, very important. And of course, it, it becomes very useful because actually what I'm doing with every podcast interview is I'm scripting it um, and I'm thinking about it as a, as a as a piece of content more broadly for different channels. The principle is the same. You're still trying to hook engagement and you're still trying to get listeners 
and attention and discussion. So it's it's no different to anything I would do internally in a funny kind of way. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's been fantastic uh, listening to some of the interviews, Sam. Um, lastly, uh, yeah, lastly, um, you are uh, one of our presenters next month at Simply IC, our flagship event. What are you hoping people uh, take away who attend? Uh, a little bit of inspiration, um, but just that um, I just hope they they find it interesting and that we can actually have a little bit of stimulating discussion in and around it. And I hope that I can provide some useful insight and learning for people uh, just in terms of telling a little bit of my own sort of recent story.